inside content. Welcome to Inside Content, the podcast from 3Vision, giving you VIP access to the insights and experiences of senior TV executives. This episode, our CEO, Toby Russell, speaks with Matt Creasy, EVP of Banerjee Rights. They discuss the recent Endemol Shine acquisition, how they have reacted to COVID-19, insights into the premium drama co-production space, and how global streamers like Apple are open for business. Hi, Matt. Thanks for joining me on Inside Content. How's it going? It's good. Thank you very much, Toby. Um, thank you very much for inviting me on. Yeah, you're very welcome. So um, in uh, July, Banerjee completed their acquisition of Endemol Shine, which was quite a long-running saga from what I can remember. Um, and, and I believe you've worked in Endemol Shine since 2006. So this, is, this deal has created a really massive global production and distribution business with a catalogue of around 90,000 hours. As in part of the acquisition, a new structure has been put in place for the distribution business, um, Banerjee Rights. Could you talk us through the whole kind of process of how that um, strategy has been developed for the new distribution organisation and importantly, what your role is in it? Banerjee Rights is essentially the amalgamation of the original Banerjee Rights on the Banerjee side and Endemol Shine International. And once the deal had gone through in July, we addressed it pretty quickly. So um, just in terms of my own position, I'm very fortunate that uh, I was approached to continue in an expanded role um, within the company. So I'm EVP sales, co-productions and acquisitions. And I sit in LA and oversee our distribution offices outside of EMEA. Um, my role is very much to sort of oversee all of our people there and, and our distribution business in general. What the new structure created, it created um, there was a new management team put in place. So it's Kathy Payne as CEO, and then Rasheen Thomas as COO, John Richards as CFO, and then Tim and myself are the management team. So we were put together. And then from that point onwards, um, we set about setting up um, and amalgamating the two companies together, which actually is quite a deep process in terms of interviewing and what resulted from that was that the new company was kind of put together and in place by October 1st and that included branding, um, whole new showrooms, the amalgamated catalogues and the sales teams um, all being completely in place and handed over and from that point onwards were operating with their new clients from October 1st. So it's always a, a, an emotional process that, and it's always a, quite a hard process. And there's colleagues on both sides who um, sadly have moved on. But the structure that now, now is in place, um, we see as a very concise and lean structure that takes the business forward to the next iteration as a new um, Banerjee rights. And uh, that, once all the dust has settled, I have to say, is a, is a really exciting proposition. So that's been the process, really, which is a, a sort of standard process in these situations, but we had to work hard and quickly to, in order to get the show up and running in time for, I suppose you would say, the sort of the virtual MIPCOM. Yeah, that's, that's pretty impressive to do that so quickly, Matt. Do you think the whole COVID situation 
um, helped or hindered the process or didn't really make any difference? It was a definite concern um, in July and then as we went into the process in August of how do you handle that many interviews um, without sort of wanting to go into too many details about it, but, but it's, a, it's a very formal process um, of how this is done. Again, because of complete balance and complete fairness, you have representatives from both sides of the two different companies at that stage and questions are very specific and repeated multiple times so that nobody ever feels that they had a question that no one else did. So there were maybe initial concerns about how that would be done on Zoom. But actually what happened was people were very used to maybe Zoom anyway, um, across all departments and all walks of, of the company that people aren't necessarily client facing all the time and maybe not so used to this sort of communication, but everybody have got used to using Zoom very quickly. So what we found was, whilst there was, what we found was actually it was pretty, it was a very smooth process from that point of view. And uh, the, the virtual world, just because of how we were adapted, was, wasn't really a, a, an issue for us when we came to doing all of this in the end. I mean, of course, where that Zoom can't create a different situation is that we hope we all would have met by now, and that has not been possible. Um, we will wait for that for next year. So that is a little bit strange that we have created this whole new company and a lot of people have never really physically met before. But uh, I don't know about you, but I've, I've just found with Zoom that it, it, almost, it almost feels like you have met people and you spend so much time talking to people anyway. So again, it's not a massive problem, but we do all long for the day that we can actually be in the same room. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've all been missing uh, MIPCOM, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it's, uh, it's going to be a little while before we all uh, get back together at one of those, one of those big events, but uh, not too long, hopefully. So, so let's move on and talk about Banerjee's um, content. So you've got a massive portfolio of big entertainment formats like MasterChef, dramas like Grandchester and Peaky Blinders, big reality shows, Survivor, Big Brother... Where's the focus in the distribution business and, and where do you see the kind of new opportunities coming from? Well, the focus is broad and you've highlighted key areas for both our distribution and our production business. And that doesn't really change from that. The, we are a broad audience distributor, which means that we are very focused on helping and distributing content from our producers um, and also from third parties as well, which fit that criteria. So um, it's all it's series across the board, non-scripted and scripted. That's important to us. We, we, we rather not work in the one-offs world, um, which um, has maybe happened more in the past. There may be the occasional drama that's picked up in the UK by someone like Kudos that we would be involved with, but otherwise it's, it's returning series. And really we, we want to be a broad audience distributor so that we can work across linear through to SVOD and through to AVOD and to have returning shows that not only deliver on season one, but then can create a, a life in those series for many years to come, which can 
both supply a royalty income to our producers, which is you know, an important part of their business that these shows can live onwards, um, and also to create sort of customer, client loyalty and uh, viewer loyalty to shows that we are putting out there as well. So every now and then, one of our producers will produce a show which you could argue isn't a broad audience show. I mean, I would argue Black Mirror when we first did that wasn't a broad audience show, but it's actually become very well known. Peaky Blinders was BBC Two initially. So, um, so it's not to say that we're wanting to be bland in our output. Um, and there's always going to be shows which are a bit crazy and a bit off the beaten track that we will, will always support with our producers because we'll find homes for them and then they'll grow from there. But as a general overview, our focus is on broad audience um, distribution. Yeah, and we've one of the things we've been talking about a lot recently on the podcast, obviously, is the impact of COVID-19 on the whole TV world. Uh, like to kind of maybe dig into that a bit more and understand how it's how it's affected your business at at a very simple level I imagine there's been a kind of downside from production being stalled in you know many markets uh, but an upside in library sales increasing is is that is that uh, is that right is that what you've seen happening yeah I mean that's that's uh, yeah that's a fair comment and probably not a surprising one for a company like us. What I would add though is, and it really dawned on me when we um, came, became part of Banerjee as well, that that scale of production globally means that COVID has impacted us in ways depending on which the territory is. So for example, in somewhere like Australia, whilst there have been some delays, we've still seen a lot of shows coming out of there during the time. In Scandinavia, we've had dramas deliver during this time as well. Um, we have, so while production has slowed down, and we've certainly seen that in the US, although we're back up and running on all our shows now in the US as well, we've seen content still coming through at different points, which has helped us during, the, um, during this, these times which are brand new dramas. Now, some were maybe coming towards the end of production just as lockdown started in March and we managed to get through to the end and then into post-production. Um, and certainly in the UK, we've got several shows now back up into production and we've, we've just finished a 12 week shoot on an ITV drama, which admittedly we all held our breath for 12 weeks, but we've done it and it's been shot in the UK and so we'll deliver, and I'll talk about that when we talk about some specific shows so but yes we, we we've got shows that were originally going to be 21 which will probably now end up delivering in 22 we've got shows that were delivering in 2020 that will now deliver in 21 and all of that has an impact um, on financials etc and everybody else is in that same boat so we but we, we we have the same situation of delays on production where we've managed to keep formats really going there's been delays, but we've kept them alive in places like Latin America, lots of conversations in places like Canada and Asia. So our format business, whilst delayed, we still see very few cancellations in that um, and more just productions moving. But, uh, but the library has been fantastic and, um, and has been a great, 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 great uh, provider of finding 
homes for shows, which are still relatively new um, as the pipeline for platforms and broadcasters has dried up a bit. So yeah, the, the, the deep library has been very important. Have you, have you seen um, any situations where clients have picked up a show from a country that they wouldn't normally buy from because it's, you know, they've, they've had a gap in their schedule and they've had to just think a bit more broadly in terms of um, what, what, kind of, what kind of shows they might buy? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's probably worth me talking about the US in that situation, actually. And, uh, and I'm, I'm based in LA, and one, one of my um, major roles here is the co-production business. And the co-production business has been really growing in the last five years anyway, and with some very familiar partners within those discussions and um, partnerships on various shows. And the obvious one's been Netflix and the Hulu and Amazon. But what this year has shown is that appetite has grown across a wider level of broadcasters and platforms. Now that's partly because of new platforms into the marketplace, um, but it's also, we've seen it in the pay TV side. And what we've seen is because they're, they're probably the outcome of suddenly seeing their pipeline delayed, that they've started looking outside it. And there's been some several examples recently in the US where uh, the most famous one probably is Apple TV um, picked up uh, a show called Tehran, for example. Now, Apple TV in February and March was still 100% original. And those conversations have absolutely changed. And now Apple is part of our pitches for co-productions um, on all our major co-productions, depending on the show, if it's right for them, but uh, that possibly we weren't doing in February. So absolutely that has um, changed in the US. Um, I'm talking to people like Showtime now have asked specific executives within their organization to go out and look for co-productions. Now, still needs to be very curated and it still needs to be absolutely on point for all the output they do on their original side. But again, they have made big strides. Where do we go and find that content from? Which they didn't need to previously do. HBO have been in it for a few years and there is no question that executives in the US are really beginning to engage and buy into the co-pro space or the acquisition space, sort of enhanced buys, um, in order to deliver new content at certain points in the next 12 months. Yeah, that's really, really, really interesting. And I mean, I think it kind of uh, connects with the other topic I'd like to talk about next, which is the whole um, direct-to-consumer uh, situation that we're seeing going on where I think we're at a you know, really interesting crossroads in the development of the whole industry as uh, certainly the big studios are focusing on D2C and obviously you've got the uh, big players like Netflix, Amazon, Apple come in now also. Um, I think it seems like what you're saying that in generally generally speaking that that's you seeing that that as a as a big opportunity for companies like yours is that right? Yes, without question. Well, the fundamental point being there's more buyers, um, but also we do see it as opportunity. We are platform agnostics, so we work with everybody. 
Um, we don't have first looks generally. We shape certainly on those big dramas, the partnership with who we feel is the right partner for that particular project. And bearing in mind with those good co-pros co out of the UK, for example, we'll have someone like BBC One or Sky or ITV or Channel 4 in place. And maybe there's natural partners in the US with, depending on who that is in, in the UK, but also in terms of the genre, the writer, the cast, the show, etc. But yes, we do see opportunity. Um, and likewise, I think they see opportunity as well. They, they feel that their audiences are embracing content now from all around the world. And this has been happening for a bit. Um, and the streamers have been ahead of this for a long time. They know working with trusted partners, like someone like the BBC, they know that there is a, a level that they are buying into straight away, which is great for them because they can wrap it up still as an original in their territory, but they know that the heavy lifting in terms of the tone and the creativity and the quality, it's already been done in the initial commission out of the UK. And that could be the same in other territories as well. But um, so yeah, we see it as opportunity. And then the, I suppose the other aspect to the direct to consumer business as it grows, the studios keeping content for themselves for their own platforms in the sort of the vertical integration of the studio, the, the linear and the direct consumer platforms, that whilst they are keeping that content in-house to, to fuel the pipeline for their own platforms, it means that there's other areas who are not getting the content they used to right. get. Yeah, so they were used to having a massive HBO deal and they don't have it anymore because it's moved to HBO Max for a example and what and what we're also seeing in that situation is it that when they're keeping the content for themselves in-house it doesn't mean they've stopped looking outside to third parties themselves so we've had for example just this year um two weeks to live the Maisie williams comedy drama for sky produced by kudos um which we did with hbo max in the u.s an adult material for uh, Channel 4, which again, uh, HBO Max um, picked up. That's HBO Max going out there and looking for other content from the international producers to accompany the originals they're producing themselves and the, um, the library that they have through the massive Warner's back catalogue as well. So we see opportunities both with the the platforms who have a very strong originals delivery system anyway, and then with the other platforms who are now looking for content outside of those people who used to previously provide for them. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think you, you could have thought that there would be more limited opportunities with those vertically integrated businesses where you know they're just going to fill up the services with their own content but that that doesn't seem to be the case at the moment I guess we'll see over time maybe they start to um, you know produce more and more and more of their uh, their own content but I think that's 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 always a that's always a challenge to keep that creativity coming that that highlights an interesting point to this and this is why the co-productions has existed for a few years anyway. Um, originals are expensive. And if you're, you have this 
delivery system pipeline that has to keep delivering these originals all the time, it's a very, very expensive business. Even for the biggest studios in the world, it's expensive. And what the co-pro world does allow is very high quality, authored, star-driven, a lot of the time, drama to become part of that output because it still looks like it's an original. But actually, you're coming in as a platform at less of the price as you would be as a full original, but you're still dressing it up as a, as a full original. So that's why I still think there's opportunity for companies like ours, because in essence, they will always show that to their subscribers as an original show. Yeah, yeah. And there's a there's a uh, big, big appetite for uh, good original content from these platforms right now. So we'll, we'll yeah. uh, I think there's going to be plenty of business for the next few years, for sure. Um, I'd like to move on and talk about another hot area in the business, uh, advertising supported VOD or AVOD. Uh, so you've been quite vocal in the past around uh, opportunities on in AVOD saying that you felt it represented an existential threat to broadcast channels. Is, is that, uh, is that still your view? Yeah, I've never, I've never lived that quote down. I guess. <laughs> um, um, I, 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 funny enough, I got, um, I met with a very senior person, Pluto in the taxi line in Miami, in Nappy, a day after that came out. And he came over and shook my hand <laughs> and, and said he'd sent the, sent the release to all the people working at Pluto saying, you see? So, um, so I was unpopular with a lot of people, but Pluto were happy. Um, but, um, but joking aside, I, I, I stand by the, my, my position that AVOD is absolutely a vital driving part of our business going forward, especially for companies with very large libraries who are not going the direct-to-consumer routes themselves. So what AVOD allows to do, and, and it's more mature in some territories than it is in others, so I still see that there's growth to, to take place, but certainly what we've seen, again, in the US is that their growth has been extraordinarily strong for the last three years. And um, we partnered with them very early on. And it was, it was an interesting partnership from, from the off. And what we've seen is the, the being able to exploit a lot of our library content that would have previously maybe sat on shelves. And that's been the real difference. And actually shows which have become really successful on AVOD for us just shows that they just needed another home because it's not old library content that no one watches. It's quite the contrary to that. We have one in particular, McLeod's Daughters, 15 years old since that last show was produced. The success we have on that on, on AVOD is, is extraordinary. So whereas a linear broadcast would go, well, we don't want to take a risk on a show like that. There's no point. AVOD, it's not really a risk. And, there, and yet we see an audience there and success from that. So I do firmly still believe that AVOD is um, a strong partner for distributors. Um, I think what we've learned in the last 12 months for sure is not every platform is going to be successful straight away. And I think probably our strategies shift slightly and it's to work 
with a smaller amount in a much bigger way. And I think that's how we will like to sort of execute our AVOL business in the coming um, year, uh, for sure, that to really curate and consolidate business with some really key platforms and continue to grow with them, as opposed to just going with absolutely every single AVOL platform that's out there. Because what we've learned, and other companies will be learning this as well, is there's costs associated with doing all of this business as well. And basic business, of course, we don't want our costs to exceed what we're earning, et cetera. And uh, not every platform is successful. So it's, it's, been, it's been a good exercise in learning that. And we, we, we sort of feel we've matured with it. And so we've taken it to the next iteration. And it's, it's really consolidating those key partnerships. And we have key partnerships in um, the US, Canada, um, Australia, um, and we're growing into now Latin America. Um, we'll grow that in um, Europe for sure, um, in the UK, and then other parts of Europe, um, and then into Asia as well. So we already have those partnerships in place, and we're going to just grow those going forward. So, so, so do you think you're likely to be kind of partnering with sort of two or three players per market or...? It may be the same player in several markets right? Um, they, as, as the bigger players expand into other territories. Um, and then maybe, depending on the size of that particular market, it might just be one AVOD partner in one market and maybe another one that comes in that's already in multiple territories. And are you seeing many of the established broadcast businesses getting into AVOD yeah, seriously? Absolutely. Or, or, or are they just... Are they just kind of focusing on their own enhanced catch-up of their own content or are they you seeing some of them you know, going out there and acquiring additional content to really kind of bulk out a bigger offer? Yes we do we do see that and uh, the best example I can probably give for that is in Australia um, and we're working very closely with 10 and 7 on their AVOD offerings so whilst it is a, there's catch-up in there we're working with a consistent delivery of new content um, every few months, bolstering the library that they're offering to their direct to their consumers as well. And that's been um, a very uh, successful relationship between um, all three parties. Um, and that's directly um, an offshoot from the broadcasters setting up their own AFOD. So yeah, and we're, we're excited about working like that as well. We really, um, we think that's a, a, that's a good model and where they are standalone OTT AVOD services, we, we all look on the success of that service and what we feel the, the growth of that service can be. So, yes, we, we look at both. Yeah, I think that's a very smart move by those those broadcasters because, I, you know, I think they they it's a good way for them to position themselves in a a uh, strong way for the future and to kind of leverage the expertise they've obviously got in ad sales. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So um, we're kind of running low on time now. There's one one other area I wanted to uh, touch on was around uh, what we might call the kind of rights grant and uh, what we've been seeing as we speak to many different broadcasters is there's a kind of increased challenge they have with broadcaster clients asking for more and more rights in the first window and 
you know, I'd say some markets are moving towards full season stacking or even box sets becoming their kind of norm. And then when we talk to broadcasters, they're saying, well, they absolutely need to get all those rights, a full, a full uh, offering of rights to be able to maintain a competitive position against the global SWOT streamers. That's a kind of tricky balancing act. Um, what, what's your take on all of that? We want to work with our linear partners closely and we, we want to be flexible because we understand the, the challenges and the complexities that they're facing. So we try and find a middle ground where we are granting exclusivity for periods of time that allow a lot of this to go on. Um, and then maybe the holdbacks, we have certain time periods on the holdbacks, which then allow us maybe to do some AVOD down the line or some SVOD down the line. Um, so we look on each deal depending on the value of that deal and therefore sort of a moving ruler about, okay, well, we can grant you longer holdbacks and exclusivity depending because you've paid us this, but if you only can do this, then we can shorten the exclusivity, but still give you periods which are helpful to you in terms of that exclusivity. So we are trying to work with our linear partners to enable them to create an offering that is exclusive and great for new content um, to, to, to their viewers, et cetera. Do you think, they, do you think the, the first window has become more important in terms of their kind of value creation for the, for the distributor? Yeah. Yeah, the, the first window. And I think you know, we, we understand absolutely what what they need in terms of the value of their their propositions so in terms of rights etc so we totally get that i think where where there's there's more negotiation around the sides is if we're talking about relicenses or if it's extended terms uh, in terms of license periods that's where there's probably getting a bit more into the weeds because holdbacks etc are harder to give at those stages with broadcasters but as a brand new show coming in we we understand that there needs to be a period of exclusivity linear exclusivity for the entire duration of the term and depending on as i say on the value some broadcasters really stand up and present a very viable financial proposal which allows them all the rights that they they want so it's a negotiation it comes down to uh to fees and the partnerships and what you've done before to a degree but um so so, so we, we try and be um flexible in those situations great so matt this has been a fabulously insightful conversation uh to wrap up i was wondering if you could give our listeners some exclusive advance info on new shows that you've got coming up and which are the ones that you're most excited about and why? Well, we've got quite a few shows coming down the pipe, um, but... Well, pick pick two or three. Out of the UK, I'll pick Viewpoint, which is a Tiger Aspect drama for ITV, which will be launching probably around, certainly in the first half of next year. 
um, in the UK. And that is a returning crime drama with Noel Clarke as the lead. So we're excited about that. That was the 12 weeks which we just finished that we were all right. crossing every toe and finger for. But, uh, but that's now going into post-production now. So we're thrilled about that. And um, everyone's very excited about that. The, it looks amazing. And um, it's, a, it's a gripping thriller with a, with a fantastic twist. So that is exciting. We'll be able to launch that as a new show. And you know, as a distributor, again, being able to deliver a new show into the market in the new year, which is, which is great during COVID. Um, we also have Royal Flying Doctors coming out of um, Endemol Shine Australia for Seven Network, which we will be launching very early next year in Australia. Um, that is a, again, a returning procedural, um, which we we very much um, are thrilled with on this one because with our sort of dramas, we we, we have the the peakies and the black mirrors. Um, and then we have sort of viewpoints in that crime space. And then we have what we call that really sort of family, but very, very important drama still for us as a, as a company, which sits with sort of the Grandchesters, the Good Karma Hospitals, um, in that sort of family co-viewing kind of areas. So it's great. We've got sort of a slightly edgier drama with a viewpoint, and then we've got the Royal Flying Doctors. So both of those will be ready. They're both finished in production. and They're both in post at the moment. So we're excited about both of those as well. Um, and then in the unscripted space, we're excited to get uh, MasterChef completed here in the US, um, which was stopped during COVID. So we've got that one coming back. We've got the new season of Lego Masters, which we're thrilled about here for Fox. Um, and that continues to be a really important show for us globally. And lots of factual series coming out of the UK, um, Ambulance and um, multiple sort of factual shows, which we've been successful in keeping going during the UK. So there's a, there's a continual flow of content coming out of there as well. But uh, yeah, I suppose if I was looking at two highlights, I'd do Royal Flying Doctors and Viewpoint. Great, good. Well, it's really uh, encouraging to hear that you've got um, a good pipeline of new content coming into the coming to the market. Um, so Matt, thank you very much. This has been a really, really interesting and enjoyable conversation. If our listeners want to get in contact with you to discuss ways to collaborate, or maybe they just want to buy some of the great shows you've been telling us about, how should they get in touch? If they go on to bannerjrights.com, they will be able to contact me directly through the contacts list. Um, my, my details are in there, um, so they'll be able to uh, contact me directly through that. Perfect. Great. Well, we'll put a, a uh, link to that in the show notes as well when we put the podcast live. So once again, Matt, thank you very much. And I look forward to catching up again soon. Nice to see you, Toby. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside Content from 3Vision. You can always reach out to us at 3vision.tv if you want to learn more. Or if you're a business with ambition in the content world, our consultancy services can help. With decades of combined experience, we know the ins and outs of the industry like nobody else. Catch us next time on Inside Content.